0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles together, and let's go to the book of Colossians. We'll be in the book of Colossians chapter 3. I told the teenagers I thought about just turning this into teen church down here, and making you guys play some ridiculous games and singing ridiculous songs, but I didn't want to make my boss mad at me, so we did not do that. Colossians chapter 3, if you found your place, we'll begin reading together in verse number 10. Paul writes, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, "...barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all, and in all." Verse 12, "...put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, ...bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, longsuffering, ...forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye." "...and above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, ...and let the peace of God rule in your hearts." to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. This passage is Paul giving instruction to the church on what a Christian looks like when they set aside the old man and put on the new man. Verse 9, right before we're, where we started to read, Paul writes, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And then verse 10 begins, and put on the new man. So the eight verses we read, that's what it is. Paul's saying this is what it looks like when a group of Christians decide to no longer live through their flesh, To no longer live through the desires that come naturally, but rather to live through the power of that new man, which is the Spirit of God. Which we know is only quickened through salvation. The new man only lives in those of us who Christ lives in. Because Christ is the new man. Without the comforter that he sends and the Spirit that lives in me and in you, these eight verses, they don't apply. They're not possible. But for those of us here tonight we are benefactors of, of Christ's salvation. We've accepted his finished work on Calvary, and we've decided to follow him with our lives, to give him our sin and to take his son. These eight verses, they're our model. And right in the middle of them, with verse 16, we find a very interesting command. We'll look back at that verse now. The Bible says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The portion of these instructions found in verse 16 is very specific command for believers, me and you, as the church together, not just to sing, but to sing together. And not just to sing together, but to sing in a way that what? Teaches, admonishes, what kind of music? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Singing in the power of our flesh? No, singing with the grace in your hearts to the Lord. This verse, this command, we now, in our world today, would call corporate worship. The act, the part of our service where when we're together, we're singing. And I know what you're thinking. It's very convenient that the music guy preaches on music, right? But I think that this is a passage that God has used in my heart so much. It's a teaching I heard from someone else in the last few months. And God has used these eight verses, especially verse 16, to re- re- reorganize the way that I think about how our services go. And He's quick in my heart to never just look at it as three songs before the sermon, but that the part of the service where we sing together has great significance to God. And that's what I want to look at tonight is what is that significance? Let's pray and then we'll get into the text. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, would you quicken it in our hearts tonight? God, teach us not my truth, not First Baptist Church's truth, God, but your truth from your word. God, we need your help. Would you send your spirit to my mouth and to the ears and hearts of all of us together? In your name we pray, amen. This is not a new concept in scripture. The, the idea of singing together is not even only found in the New Testament. You can write these down if, you, if you'd like them for later, but also in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, 19 reads very similar to this. This letter was written to the church in Colossae. Paul wrote a very similar admonition to the church in Ephesus, telling them to sing together, speaking in your hearts to the Lord in the same type of music, in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. In the Old Testament, the book of Psalms is full of commands to sing. Psalms 95, Psalms 150, Psalms 96. The theme of all of these psalms is corporate singing, not individual singing, but singing together. 1 Chronicles 6, verse 31, the same theme is there. In each of these passages, the same reference is made over and over and over. And that's this, the glory of God. It's the glory of God. When we gather to sing, when we go through the part of our service where music is done between all of us together, with those on the stage, with those in the platform, there's one mission and there's one goal. There's one reason that God gave us that command, and that's for His glory. For the purpose of the rest of the sermon tonight... I'll use the word worship and bringing glory to God kind of interchangeably. And what we're referring to when we say those words, what the Bible's referring to, is those who a variety of different methods would bring greatness, beauty, and worth to the name of God and the name of Jesus. To lift up his name in a way that is reflected in our own heart, as well as it's brought to the attention of those around us, the beauty, the greatness, and the worth of our God. That's worship. That's bringing glory. And this is, we'll talk about this later, this is not an exclusively musical principle. This is not, worship is a very, musical worship is a very small part of worship as a whole. But, for the purpose of the rest of tonight, the idea of bringing glory to God, the idea of worshiping God, is that we would bring worth, beauty, and greatness to his name. There's three things I want to establish about our worship together tonight, and then we will go home. The first of those is it is God's will for every individual to bring glory to Him. It is God's will for every individual to bring glory to Him. Before we talk about corporate worship and the church as a whole, and the three services a week that we gather, and special music is sung, choir music is sung, congregational music is sung, before we talk about all of us together, we have to talk about each of us individually. And the point with each of us individually is that God's desire and God's will for each of our lives is that we would individually, independently worship him ourselves. The Bible reads in Isaiah 43, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. That phrase, I have created him for my glory. Each of our role in the church begins with our role before God. And my primary role before the creator, your primary goal before the creator, is that we would bring glory to him. Way before we're talking about musically, in our own heart, in our own life, in our actions, that we would bring glory to him. That's my primary goal. Before anything else, my concern, your concern. God's will is that we would bring glory to Him. There's two ways this happens. The first, all of mankind brings glory to God in this way, unintentionally or, or naturally. It carries the idea, as Psalm 19, verse 1, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. See, nature by existence declares the glory of God. When we look at the beauty, we look at the wonder, we look at the processes that God has set in place, the seasons as they continue to go, the ups and downs of the tide, the rising and setting of the sun, the sprouting of leaves in the summer, the falling of leaves in the fall. All of these things point to one thing, and that's that the whole universe brings glory to our God. And whether people look at that beauty and choose to acknowledge God or choose to give credit to some other source, the truth remains that the beauty of creation brings glory to God. And the same is true for every man and every woman. You see, when I look at impressive buildings, when I look at great works of art, great works of literature, my first reaction is often to praise the creator, to praise the builder, to praise those who did those things. But if we take it a step back, what's more important, excuse me, what's more impressive than a beautiful work of art is someone, a creator who can make hands to paint that. What's more impressive than the great works of architecture and engineering we see in our world today is a God who could fashion a mind that could calculate what's needed to build those things. And whether these people, these artists and these engineers, whether they give glory to God for their own actions, we understand that glory to God is already given unintentionally. Whether they choose to acknowledge God or not, those of us who believe, those of us who know Christ, can look at the things that they do, can look at the wonder that that humanity is and the things that humanity accomplishes and know that those things are not credited to humanity in and of itself. But there's a God who created me, who created you, and anything we do with our hands, anything we do with our creativity, anything we accomplish with our personality, with our voice, with our gifts, these are God-given talents. Everyone gives glory to God unintentionally just by doing things that only a God could create them to do. This is not the glory that God is commanding in Colossians chapter 3. He's asking for an intentional sacrifice and a giving of glory. This is not for mankind as a whole, like the first glory we talked about. This is from God's chosen people, those who have accepted him, those who are now quickened in his son, those who are dying to the old man and coming alive to the new man, those who are saved are to give God an intentional sacrifice of glory. And we're to live in a way where we, on purpose, give beauty, give worth, give greatness to the name and to the image of our God. Psalm 29 talks about this. Instead of talking about the heavens and the firmaments, declaring the handiwork of God, he says, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. That's a call for intentional action on my part and on your part. That not only would we by nature, by default, by the use of our talents and our God-given gifts bring glory to Him, but that we would make a conscious decision in the way that we act and the things that we do to bring glory to Him. God calls each soul to worship Him and bring glory to Him in many different ways. As I said before, we're going to take this a musical direction and talk about worship corporately in the church, but the idea of worship is so much bigger than music. We understand that... Sacrifice and giving worth to the name of Christ can be done in so many ways. Our time, the Bible talks about. Our affections, what do we love? What do we devote ourselves to? Our wealth and the decisions we make with it. The words that come out of our mouths. As we said a moment ago, our talents, our God-given abilities, our gospel witness in our community, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods. The commitments that we make as well as our musical worship are all ways where we can intentionally decide to give glory to God. And as Paul said, we have to die daily in these things. You know because you live in flesh, and I know because I live in flesh, that each of those areas, my time constantly takes itself back. My money constantly finds other things to spend itself on. My commitment, my thoughts, my words, my intentionality, As often as I try and direct them towards Christ, they find themselves finding going other places. It takes a conscious effort to convince ourselves, to commit ourselves rather, to the glory of God. But nonetheless, that's the first thing we must establish, is that each of us are called not as a church, not corporately, but as individual souls before Christ. That we would live our lives in a way that brings glory to Him. that involves our music. The second statement I'd like to establish is that each of our hearts' affections for God is the essence of church worship. Each of our individual hearts' affection and love for God is the essence of the worship that we do together. If you think about it, it's, it's impossible for a church as a whole to love and to worship God if none of us individually love and worship God. We cannot do corporately what doesn't happen individually. It's not the final result. It's not the totality of of corporate worship. But the essence of the worship that happens here on Sunday morning. The essence of the singing that takes place in this place. The essence of all those who sing on the platform. All those who would sing in the choir. All those who sing in the pews. Is the individual affection for God we have in our hearts. Without my heart personally being aflame, our church cannot corporately worship. Without your heart personally being aflame with affection for God, our church cannot worship as a whole. That's why I sometimes find myself having a problem with the term worship service. Because that gives the idea that if you're a part of the service, you're worshiping. And it's not this way. How do I know? Well, the same way that you know. Because many weeks I've stood in this place... And sang songs that were worshipful. And my mind has been far from here. And you've walked in just like I've walked in. And whether life had you down or maybe life had you up. For whatever reason, our mind was far from the Lord. And the same words came off our mouths that came off everybody else's. That's what's scary about this. The same words come off my mouth that came off the week before. I sing the same words off the same screen that we all sing together. But worship is the last thing that's happening in my heart. Far from him. My my mind, far from him. That love and affection, it's supposed to be boiling out of my heart, and that's where my worship comes from. It's cold. And this is not a long process. How many of you know it doesn't take months and months and years and years for our heart to grow cold towards the Lord? It takes days. It takes days. And we find ourselves there so often. But the truth is this, without each of us having an individual affection, in our heart for the Lord. The corporate worship that he calls us to participate in as a church, as a whole, is not possible. I think of Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus told the Pharisees that these people worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. A heart that's filled, excuse me, worship without a heart that's filled with God's love and a heart that communes back and forth with God Any outward display of worship is just that. It's an outward display. Without a heart that's full of God's love and actively communing with him, any outward display of worship that comes from me, that comes from you, is no more than that, an outward display. The truth is, words or actions, whether it is musical, whether it's sacrifice of time, giving of our money, commitments to the Lord raising up our families in a way that's pleasing to him and by his word, any actions of worship and commitment where we give ourselves to the Lord should all come from a love of God that's in our hearts. Words, actions, expressions of worship boil from a heart that's filled with the grace of Christ. Back to our text in verse 16. He says, singing, admonishing one another, teaching in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with what? Grace in your hearts to the Lord. Paul tells the church right here, it comes from grace out of your hearts towards the Lord. See, each of our hearts, individual affections, my love for Christ, your love for Christ, are the essence of the end goal of of corporate worship. The love of God that I have in me and the love of God that you have in you is the essence of what God's trying to accomplish here when we sing together. It's not the totality. It's not the final end result. What we do here is not just a group of people coming together with love for God in their hearts who are trying to go vertical. See, this is the beautiful thing. This is what I don't want you to miss. This is is why verse 16 in Colossians chapter 3 is so important for the church today. In Ephesians chapter 5 where a similar command is given, this is why this is so important. Because our heart's individual affections are the essence of God's end goal, but they are not the totality. The ultimate goal of worship is the entire bride of Christ worshiping together. The final accomplishment of this will be in that great first day in heaven. When us, as long as saints of years past, saints of years in the future, people living right now that we'll never meet, never encounter, never speak with, couldn't speak with if we met them. We'll all be together in a great choir, joining the angels, and the bride of Christ will sing. Isn't it interesting? In in the book of Revelation, the first thing we hear about the whole bride of Christ being together is that they're going to sing. We are going to sing. That's the end goal of corporate worship. But not just the bride of Christ singing together in that day. Not just saints of all years and all countries and all tribes. The Bible says every tribe and every tongue. Not just all those saints coming together and singing on that day in heaven. But all of us joining together and singing now. Why is it greater than the sum of the parts? My joy in Christ is greater because of yours than my joy in Christ can be on its own. That's why Paul commands that they would sing And teach and admonish in music together. Why? Because it adds to those around us. If we're being taught and admonished through worship together, that means we're leaving, knowing more, and being more admonished than we were when we came. The joy that I have in worship and singing, you can ask my wife, I'm I'm a big shower singer, right? And all you are too, you just wouldn't admit it. The joy that I have in singing by myself, it's greater in this place. Why? Because of your joy being next to me. The worship and love that comes out of my heart on a Sunday morning when we sing is greater than it would be on my own. Why? Because your worship and your love next to me. The Bible says when we come together, it's not just the sum of the parts. Something greater happens. We are grown by the worship and the love for God of those around us. This is part of the reason we must reject the mindset that we don't need church. We've all encountered people who claim that they are walking with God, they're carrying out God's will for themselves outside of the church for reasons of hypocrisy, reasons of hurt, some very real, very legitimate claims, people who have been hurt, great hypocrites that they've encountered in church. But the mindset that we can accomplish God's will for me and for you outside of the body of Christ in a local church is faulty, it's phony. There's many reasons for that, but one of them is this, that when we come together and we worship Christ, it's greater than just the sum of our voices. And it's greater than all of the love for God that's in my heart put together with all the love that's in your heart. Because when those loves come together and we fulfill this passage, this command of God, and our worship is together, something different happens. It's greater than just the sum of the parts. It's more than just those things put together because we're taught and we're admonished and we're encouraged through the corporate worship. Through the corporate worship, when we do it together, it's different. Why? Because it fulfills a command of God, and He always blesses that. How I many you know? God blesses obedience. He blesses obedience, and this is no exception to that. When we come together, we obey the command. Colossians three sixteen. Teaching, admonishing, who one another. In psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts, plural, to the Lord. That when it happens in this place and this command is fulfilled, we're encouraged, we're taught, we're admonished through the worship. Is music ever, the Bible makes it very clear, our primary source of admonishment, our primary source of encouragement is not a song that we'll sing, it's this book. And the preaching in this book is the preeminent part of work of a church service. I'm behind that. But what the Bible is telling us here is that the music part of a church service, not just music, but the worship through music in a church service, can both teach us and admonish us through those songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is not just true in worship, but in all matters of exhortation within the church. What that means is very simple. We need each other. We need each other. No man, no Christian was meant to be an island. I can't make it on my own and you can't make it on your own. God has assembled the body here, just like he's assembled the body in every local church around our country and around our world, with all the parts that are needed for me to be lifted up and for you to be lifted up. It's greater than just the sum of the parts. Why? Because some of us are hands in the body of Christ. And a hand can't be an eye. Some of us are knees in the body of Christ and a knee can't be an elbow. It's close, but it's not an elbow. In this room, there's all parts. And that's the purpose. That's the goal. Why? Because me and you cannot function as Christians on our own. He made us to be a part of something greater. And that final greater thing is the bride of Christ assembled together in heaven. But today and where we live in the year 2022, for me and for you, It's this place. It's this church. It's the people to your left and it's the people to your right. We can't do it on our own and we were not made to. We come together to exhort one another, to lift each other up. And part of those things is when we worship and sing together. Something happens that God blesses. And corporate worship teaches and exhorts those around you and teaches and exhorts you. Not just because the sum is greater than the parts. Why else is the ultimate goal of worship? The entire bride of Christ worshiping together. Not just individuals. Go to verse 11 in our original text. Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes where there. Speaking of inside the body of Christ. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew. Circumcision nor uncircumcision. Barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. But Christ is all and in all. The differences in this verse were very significant in the culture that Paul was writing to. Greek and Jew, large rift between those groups. Circumcision, uncircumcision, big disagreement in the early church. Barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, that's a slave or a free person. These are differences that mean, mean the world to people who live these differences. And what Paul is teaching is that once you're in the body of Christ, all these differences that the church then would have thought of as night and day, they don't matter anymore. And he's saying inside the body, Christ is all. And Christ is in all. Why does that matter for our worship? Unified, diverse voices bring greater glory to God. A diverse harmony of all kinds is a greater sound than a melody of the same. Those of you who know a little bit about music will know that when you hear a group singing or a choir on Sunday morning, how many of you notice that they're not all singing the same notes at the same times? We have tenors, we have basses, we have altos, we have sopranos. And we go back to the practice room and all our choir members do a very diligent job of learning the different parts and if all you heard was the basses, it would not sound right. If all you heard was the altos, it would not sound right. But when those groups sing different notes at the same time, The music word for that is harmony. And when it comes together, it's so much prettier than just all those voices singing the same notes. It's harmony. And that same principle is not just true for musical notes. It's true for the lives of Christians. And that God receives greater glory when unity of many different kinds sing together. This is not just unity of notes, but this is true in all metrics. Our personalities, there's great diversity of personalities in this room. Age, churches that are young, churches that are old. Ethnicity, wealth, class. My favorite one, voice quality. How many of you know we have some diversity of voice quality in our church? And there's nothing wrong with that. The diversity of all these kinds coming together brings more glory to God than voices of all the same type. Why is this? Because the greatness and worth of a leader can be measured by the diversity of the followers that he can gain to follow and commit themselves to him. The diversity of a leader, excuse me, the greatness and worth of a leader can be measured by the diversity of his followers that he can gain to commit themselves to him. In Christ, we magnify him and we make him look so much better and we bring so much glory to him to the world around us when in a world like 2022 where no one gets along. I heard the other day there's two things that are an all-time high in 2022, inflation and division. It's true. Our world is split down the middle a million different ways. And when the lost world looks at a group of people, like our church, don't miss this, who have one common bond, and that's Christ. We're we're diverse in all the ways I just mentioned. Our age, our wealth, our ethnicities, all different. This group of people coming together around anything but Christ probably would not happen. But when the outside world sees the unity that's here, From a large, diverse group of people, it brings greatness and worth to the name of Christ. Because a leader who can bring many different kinds and much diversity to himself to follow him, it shows a unifying factor of that leader, which is, as we know about Christ, the greatest. He's our redeemer leader. He's the head of the church, the Bible tells us. And we magnify him to the lost world. When they look at us and see, in a world of people who can't get along, in a city of people who are split a million different ways on a million different issues, here's a group that's a small sampling of every kind of people in this city brought together under one name, and that's the name of Jesus. And the differences that we have and the things where we don't align, they pale in comparison to the love that's out of our individual hearts boiling towards Christ. And when that love comes together in this place and it's expressed in corporate worship and the singing of our hearts together and the learning of God's word together, when that love comes out, it's unity that's not seen anywhere else in our world. And Christ is magnified through that unity. We bring him up so much and it catches the attention of the lost world who, who cannot figure out how to get along. Our world cannot figure out how to get along. And when all groups of people from all walks of life come to a place like this and we unite under one name it brings great worth to our redeemer leader. And it makes him look good. It magnifies him. Which, when we jump back to the beginning is the whole purpose of my life and yours. Individually as well as corporately in this place. Christ can hold all types together with himself Is the one common bond, and when we live that out in our worship together, good voices and bad voices, rich voices, poor voices, red, yellow, black, and white voices, all in this place, all praising God, not denying our diversity, embracing it. That the unity of Christ is what holds us together. That's the purpose of this worship. That's the purpose. That that diversity of all kinds of voices coming together in harmony brings great worth and glory to His name. The ultimate goal of worship is the entire bride of Christ together. It's greater than the sum of the parts. Those who love to sing that includes me. How many of you, others of you are included in that? We love to sing. Those who love to sing must be reminded of this great purpose. Because we often sing for singing's sake. We sing for pleasure. Because we enjoy the sound of our own voice. The sound of others' voices. Singing is what we love to do. And we do it. And luckily for us, what we love to do falls under the umbrella of a Bible command. But, each of us who love to sing, we must check our motives. And it's imperative that our singing is for one purpose and that's the corporate worship of Christ to bring glory to his name. We must be reminded of this purpose that our individual heart has to be aflame. I can love to sing and I can do my best to sound as good as I can but if there's not love for Christ in my heart boiling out as I do, it's not worship. The Bible calls that sounding brass, tinking cymbal, just dead noise. So I must ensure that my heart is personally worshiping before I ever try to corporate worship in the church together. Those who find singing uncomfortable or difficult also have lessons from this passage. You must be reminded and pushed to embrace the commandment of God to fulfill this great purpose. And whatever the reason of our own apprehension to involve ourselves in the singing, whatever uncomfortableness or self-consciousness a reason we feel that we don't enjoy to sing or that we don't sing on Sundays or we don't sing on Wednesdays, whatever that reason is, just as important it is for those singers to check their hearts, to check their motives, to be humble before God, to sing from a heart of love for God, we also must check our motives. And if the reason that I don't enjoy singing or I'm apprehensive to sing is a pride issue, that this great commandment and great purpose of corporate worship together must be greater than my pride. And if there's a level of self-consciousness that lives in me or you, we need to understand that the diversity and voice quality and in voice type is all part of God's plan. He brings us together to make a joyful noise that's diverse. And that's not a reason to be self-conscious, but rather to realize that my uniqueness and the, the part of diversity that I bring to our church body, it's all the more reason for me to step into that body And fill my role in corporate worship and in other parts of the church. Why? Because no one else can fill your role here. Only you can. Whatever the reason for our apprehension or or reluctancy to sing, it's time to realize the command of God of corporate worship is not just something that we do before the preaching. It's the fulfillment of a command from his word. That every time we gather, we would involve ourselves in worship. Not singing, worship that my heart, that your heart would live aflame for him. When we gather in church next, and it's time to sing, remember this. What we're doing is not merely an assembly of individuals who love God and want to worship him vertically, but individually. It's not a room full of people worshiping God, each on their own. We're becoming a foretaste of the ultimate and final purpose of creation. And that's a unified bride worshiping him forever. Realize that's the purpose of creation, for God to bring glory to himself. All of creation, that's what it's about, God bringing glory to himself. And the Bible tells us at the end of it all, when this world is gone, going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And the thing that's there that brings glory to him as me and you and every other blood-washed, saved, forgiven sinner who's made a saint through the love of Christ. We'll join together, we'll bring glory to him in worship, in musical, singing, vocal worship. That's the final goal. And what we get to do in this place on Sunday morning is a foretaste of that. And what we get to do in this place on Wednesday night is a foretaste of that. When we come together, whether you're in the choir, whether you're in the ensemble, whether you sing from the pews every week, there's no differentiating of those roles in the Bible. The church is commanded to sing. No matter where you do it from, the church is commanded to sing. And as we do, first that our hearts are aflame for God. Individual hearts' affections, my heart and your heart's love for God, is the essence of worship. Without that, we can't have it. It's not the final goal. It's not the totality. The totality is that we come together as a diverse body with one goal, to bring glory and honor to his name, to bring beauty, to bring worth, and to bring greatness to the name of our God. Embracing our differences, embracing our unity, and looking at it as God turning it all into harmony. And he brings it together that this place would be a picture to the world That only Christ could bring together a group of people like this. And that we're here. And that yes, we're here in the preaching. Yes, we're actively involved in praying. But we're a part of the corporate singing and worship. Because First Baptist Church understands that it fulfills the command of Christ when we sing together.